I want to talk about something that's very close to my heart this afternoon. I want to talk about holiness. Holiness in a postmodern world. It would seem that some would think that holiness is not necessary. In fact, recently I was chatting with somebody and they said, you don't have to be holy to go to heaven. And they quoted the scripture to me, it's Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now I couldn't argue with the fact that we're saved through grace. But I did remind the individual that this is also the truth, that without holiness, we don't see God. In Matthew 5 verse 8 it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It would appear that there's a connection between the way I live my life and my experience of the reality of God. And anyway, here's my question to that individual again. I might get away with not seeing God here, but it's going to be very hard to avoid him in heaven. Jesus is at the center of all that is in heaven. So you don't have to be holy to get to heaven, that's true. But would you like heaven without being holy? I imagine you might struggle a little. In Matthew 7 verse 21, Jesus is talking about people who have an experience of God, but have not necessarily yielded themselves fully to God. People who have done great and glorious things. He says these words. I never knew you. Depart from me. Now I want to highlight to you that he's not saying you didn't know me. What he is saying is that I didn't know you. I don't recognize the relationship you claim to have with me. Without holiness, we can't come into partnership and availability to the God who wants to take over the whole of our life. We will consistently be in striving as to who is in control. So my question to you this afternoon is simply this. Is holiness good for you? I would imagine if it's from the Lord, it must be good for us. But the truth is, church, we've seen lots of people who claim to be holy that weren't that great. I think it was one of the writers, the American writers, that said, that they were the best kind of person in the worst kind of way. There are some people who are not great adverts for holiness. In fact, they are so uptight, so narrow, sometimes so incredibly religious and judgmental that for many of us, that type of holiness is not appetizing. It's not attractive. So our subject this afternoon is postmodern holiness. And of course, when we have the word post after the word holiness, we realize that it's after something. It's after modernism. It's after a time and a season in our historical journey where the modernist way was to have certain procedures, certain practices in the church that they believed would produce holiness. Let me give you a couple of examples That to be holy, you needed to dress a certain way. How many of us have heard that? Let's try the opposite. To be holy, you can't dress a certain other way. 
when I first came to the church, people had major concerns about my relationship with Jesus because I didn't look like what they thought a Christian should look like on the outside. But how many of us know that a spirituality that's just about the outside is hollow and empty when God is more interested on what's happening on the inside? The scriptures tell us that God looks upon the heart of a person, not their new coat, not their short dress, not the way their hair is done, but the core essence of who that individual is something that draws the attentions of God. I've met some people who to be holy meant they had to practice certain things. In fact, some people I've met have been so holy that they couldn't possibly get engaged with anything that was normal. One lady I met in the early part of my journey used to take her little boy to the toy shop and tell him all the toys that were evil. And she couldn't understand when he became 14 why he made a decision not to continue the journey. I think there may have been a connection between those two realities. I've met with people who pray the calories out of their food. Some of you have done that, clearly. That's obviously an issue. Rather than praying for a little more self-control, a little bit more activity, we choose the option of religiosity and pray the calories out of our food. I've met people who, because they're trying to be holy, are so unpenetrable as far as their humanity is concerned. You know, you meet these people, don't you, along life's journey in the church, and they have a vocabulary that just at times is difficult to get behind. I remember one man used to come to the church in Glasgow. In fact, he was a minister, and I used to count how many times he'd say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, and glory to God. I'd say, have you had a good week? Yes, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. And how are the family? All good, hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God. You know, I wondered what he talked to his wife about later on in the day. And you wonder, when they were having times of intimacy together, did he say, hallelujah, glory to God. For others, holiness is a life of discipline where they remove every possible pleasure from their life with the hope that somehow by beating their bodies into submission, they'll find a greater connectivity with God. And indeed, often the opposite is true. You know, fasting can be a great way of positioning our hearts to meet with God, but it also can be a means to another end, which is to lose weight. I know none of you would struggle with such duplicitous spirituality, but I'd like to be honest enough to say that occasionally I have indulged. And as you can see, the results weren't all that they promised they would be. I say to people, if out of my belly flows rivers of living water, let's have a belly for the Holy Spirit, a belly for the Father, and a belly for the Son. Let's make a little room for God. But holiness for many people is about external practices, standards, social conformity, and even at times, control. 
And in modernity, that is what we all experienced as holiness. How many of us heard this, that if you were in a cinema and Jesus was to come back, you wouldn't go to be in heaven with him? No, don't worry, I didn't say it. Somebody said it to me. (laughs) That dancing was of the devil. Now, I've seen some of you dance, and I reckon there may be some essences of truth (laughs) in some of those issues. But whether I'm here or I'm somewhere else, if I'm a child of God, the true reality is that if Jesus is returning for his bride, I will be caught up with him and taken to be with him. So holiness is not a matter of conformity. In fact, what happens when you have that kind of modernity orientation to holiness, you can become very sin-focused. Everything is sinful. Demons are everywhere. And your flesh needs to be beaten on a daily basis into submission. And yet at the same time, in, in all of that, We have these incredible words from Jesus in John 10.10 that seem to be counterintuitive to that type of holiness. He says, I have come that you should have life and life in all its fullness. So has holiness become something of the past? Here we are living in a contemporary culture with all kinds of experiences of holiness that perhaps haven't left us with the greatest impression of its benefits or indeed its purposes. But if I could say to you this afternoon that for me, holiness is not a matter of conformity. Holiness is a matter of transformity. If I'm sin-focused, it will be sin that I'm drawn to. So sin avoidance cannot be the means or the manner or the way in which God brings about Christ-likeness because Jesus said on the cross regarding sin, it is finished. In other words, he has dealt with sin once and for all. So if my mind is preoccupied with not sinning, I'm still preoccupied with sin. If I'm trying to avoid all kinds of things with the hope that I stay pure, then I have this belief that the God inside of me is not big enough or strong enough to cope with the world around me. And there are some dynamics to that that do not produce in me the kind of Christ-likeness that I believe is possible for me to experience. But what is biblical holiness? Well, biblical holiness to me is otherworldliness. It's not about what I do, it's about who I have become. You see, holiness is a matter of identity. Once I was not a child of God, in the sense that I didn't have relationship with him, and my sin separated me from that possibility, now I am a child of God because Jesus has paid the debt for my sin. I can come into a relationship with God, grow and flourish in that relationship, And in my interactions with him, in my devotion to him, in my alignment to his truth, I actually find that I become like him. 
the working of God's character begins to invade my character and I start to think differently. I start to act, therefore, differently and I respond to the world far more interestingly. We have been invited into a relationship with a God who is not defined or confined by our world culture. It is clear when we read through the scriptures that Jesus himself walked into every environment and he even offered some explanation as to what people were about to say or hear. This is what he said, you have heard it said, but I now say. In other words, there is a paradigm that you've lived in where you've tried to avoid sin, but I have come amongst you and because I am with you and because I am for you, I will overcome sin on your behalf, but with me you will overcome it. You will overcome it with me in relationship to me. So that kind of holiness, which is sin avoidance, I think has caused us to have a reaction in the church. And instead of talking about holiness, we avoid it. And here are some of the things that have happened in that vacuum. We have become hyper-grace oriented. What do I mean by that? If anyone says to me, Simon, I think you should read your Bible, I would say, grace is sufficient for me. Well, grace may be sufficient for you, but it won't educate you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just because I am disciplined in reading my Bible does not mean I am orientated to works. In fact, what it really means is I am besotted with wonder. I desire to understand what has happened in my heart and in my life with God. Others say things like this, well, I don't need to pray because God loves me the way I am. And I often respond by saying, that's true. We're not quite there yet. But here's the good news. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. In other words, there is continued work necessary to bring your character and your heart and your personality into an agreement with God and all that he has for you. So sin avoidance has been one option in our thinking regarding holiness. I wonder if in our reaction to that kind of religiosity, we have become a little casual in regard to the way that we live. You know, more and more, I find that people that claim to be lovers of Jesus, actually, if I'm honest, sometimes are lovers of ministry or even church activity or even the possibility of having an effectual life. It would seem that alcohol is permitted and in some cases encouraged because when we're free, we don't want to be caught up with any legalism. People even quote things like this, a little wine is good for the soul. I would add, too much of it is lousy for the reputation. You may want to measure how you engage with that. We watch all kinds of things. And we say to ourselves in our reaction to modern holiness, that actually who the sun sets free is free indeed. But the Bible teaches us something slightly different in that regard. It says, 
all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. There lies the key to understanding what works or doesn't work in regard to your ongoing formation of character. So if I can't become truly holy by meeting the requirements of what legalism tells me is holiness, and I've abandoned any sense of restriction on the way I live my life, then where do we go on the subject matter of what it means to be holy? Well, I believe that holiness comes out of our new identity. You see, when I married Jane 25 years ago this October, I became exclusively hers. Up until that point, I might have been available, ladies. I know it's disappointing, isn't it? Or maybe you're breathing a sigh of relief. Thank you, Jesus, that somebody took him. But I put a ring on my finger. I can't get it on anymore because of arthritis. But I put a ring on my finger as a sign to anyone. And, you know, I wasn't always this ugly. A sign to anyone or everyone that I belong to her. Do you know, God, when he came into your heart, he put a ring on your heart. It's called circumcision. He says, this one is mine. And the psalmist says these words, I am my beloved's. In other words, I know where my identity lies and my beloved is mine. You see, real holiness starts with relationship. It starts with the identity that is ours as a result of what Christ has afforded to us. And if we don't start from that point, if we don't start out of relationship, if we don't start out of consecration and devotion and connection with God, we will default to all kinds of practices that actually don't necessarily make us holy. Sometimes we can do all the right things and have the wrong attitude. God wants to minister in our hearts and in our lives that out of the overflow of what we experience in relationship with him, we make the right choices. The scriptures say that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think sometimes we've tried to keep his commandments and we've missed the fact that the whole motivation or energy or life that brings that kind of clarity in regarding who I am and what I do comes out of a love relationship with God. I am my beloved's and he is mine. And that's where we start to be transformed. We're transformed in relationship with God. We're not transformed through practices and procedures and rituals. We're transformed in relationship with God. Here's what happens. When I live from that place of relationship and intimacy with God, not only are there definite parameters to what I do with my heart and what I therefore do with my life, But I'm living connected to a source known as the Holy Spirit that energizes my new life. That gives some power and oomph, if you like, to the way I can live my life. I have 
a capacity, therefore, to make the good choices I need to make, not even out of some obligation to God, but out of a heartfelt desire to stay as close and to grow as deeply in love with him as I possibly can. And you know, kingdom abundance begins to form inside of me, not sin avoidance. I become alive on the inside. My heart is energized by relationship and intimacy with God. It becomes clear to me, therefore, what is permissible and not permissible to make that relationship deeper and stronger and more profoundly effectual in me. My decisions become very apparent because I know that if I go in this direction, I'm going to lose something in this direction. And so I keep this direction very alive and very awakened and very aroused and very stirred because as I stay in that intimate place of connectivity with the Father, when I'm basking in His love, when I'm glorying in the reality of the Son, when I'm celebrating the salvation that is mine and is becoming mine, when my heart is being healed, my soul is being awakened into the, the vast, great depths, heights, and lengths of the goodness of God, I have no interest in some of the things that would ordinarily distract me. And I recognize that in me, Christ is beginning to be formed. Holiness is one of the communicable attributes of God. It's something he longs to share with those that he is in relationship. He desires and delights to make you holy. It's his great passion that the Holy Spirit would produce in you a holy character, a holy nature, a holy mindset, and a holy agreement with God where you are wholly given over to him in every part of your life. In 1 Peter 1 verse 15 to 16, our instruction is this. It's not a duty instruction, it's an invitation instruction. It says, be holy as I am holy. In other words, out of the fullness of relationship with me, my character, my nature, my personality will begin to be formed in you. Church, we have to live from that reality. That he is mine and I am his. And all things pertaining to my heart and life come from the flow that is found in intimate relationship with him. So true biblical holiness is about the circumcision of the heart. It's about a dedicated life pursuing the depths and the fullness of God. It's not about activity. Those things happen as a byproduct regarding which way you happen to be facing. And if I'm face to face with God, heart to heart in relationship with him, and falling more and more deeply in love with him intentionally, I find that when I look back across my life, Instead of the carnage, brokenness, and anarchy that once followed me, goodness and mercy seem somehow to have caught up with me. So there are four ways in closing that I want to just highlight to you that currently I believe holiness is having an impact on postmodern culture. The first thing I want to say about that is that holiness is holistic. In other words, it's not about the practices, it's about the personal relationship with God. We, as people, were created by him, for him. And true holiness is about keeping that relationship alive in every part of our life. Not 
a Sunday morning Christian, or in this case, a Sunday afternoon Christian, but an all day, every day, 24-7, every day of the year relationship with God. I think it's important that we have an holistic approach to relationship with him. The second thing that postmodern holiness does for us as it's revisiting the church in a great way is it recognizes the uniqueness of each person created in the image of God. You see, holiness is not one size fits all. There are things that you will be tempted by that I'm not tempted by. There are things that I will be tempted in that you wouldn't be interested in. So when God visits us in his purity and his holiness, he has a bespoke and unique way in which he deals with the issues of our life. He speaks to us as an individual and he crafts for us the most glorious and empowering sense of his presence and his person that draws from us the greatest things that he has indeed placed in us. Our cultural context, our life experience, all of those things are known by him and he specifically gives us gifts to take us into the deeper realms of his holiness. Holiness is particular. The third thing is holiness is a narrative. You know, I sometimes listen to Christians and they sing songs like, this is my story, this is my song. Great song. But actually, it's not your story. <laughs> You're just a bit player or a part player in a much bigger drama. You do realize that, don't you? And as you read through the scriptures, you realize throughout history, God has been writing a story. The story of a God who loves humanity. The story of a God who's provided gloriously for all the needs for our salvation. The story of a God who has rewritten the lives of people in communities and contexts that perhaps ordinarily we wouldn't necessarily imagine he would ever reach. This is not your story. This is not our story as a church. It's not our story here that we're celebrating. We're celebrating the story of Jesus who is alive and well and amongst his people today. A God who invades every heart and every life that gives him room and a God that rewrites individual stories under the huge glorious story of his redemption for humanity. So holiness is not a theological truth. It's coming into an agreement and a partnership with the overriding narrative that God is producing in our world. And you do know how it ends, don't you? He wins. He wins. The fourth thing is I want to highlight to you is that holiness is life. It's got to be experienced. It's got to be tasted so that it can have an, a revelation attached to it. You know, we don't live in isolation from one another. We live in connection with one another because we are born again into the family of God. So my holiness can have a positive impact on your life and your holiness can have a positive impact on my life. In fact, we're probably better together than we are separated because some days when it's not working so good for me, I might need you. And you know, often you probably will notice this when we're worshiping. It's not that I'm not worshiping. I love to watch you worship Jesus. I can see written all over your life the goodness of God. And so sometimes I just need to see that to be reminded of that. 
I love to hear the church pray out loud. You can tell so much of what's happening in someone's internal world when they begin to externalize it and verbalize it in a gathering like this. And people pray prayers of thanksgiving and praise and joy. Why? Because what's happening in you is accessible to me. If God has began to do something profound for you, he might well just do something profound for me. And our holiness in community, in koinonia, is better whenever we start to understand that we are not just individuals working it out with God. We are a community of lovers discovering the fullness of who he is. And you might know today that he's your savior. And I might need that reality tomorrow when I'm having doubts. If your concept of holiness are wrapped up with legalism and procedure and routine and discipline, I've got some really good news for you. God in this day is revisiting the church with the type of holiness that far surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes. It's a holiness of consecration and a holiness of devotion where those who have been taken by him are brought to a place of submission to him, where he begins to form in us through intimacy his character and his nature. And if you look back across your life, you realize that the things that have stayed changed are the things that you discovered in relationship with him. You see, we're not called to conform to a pattern. We're not called to perform like voice-activated disciples. We're called to relationship. We're called to intimacy. We're called to submission, to the God we can trust with every facet of our hearts and lives. And it's in that place that God begins the process. As you begin to see him, as you behold him, as you discover who he truly is, you become energized to submit. The more you see of God, the more of you you want to give to God. That's the pattern of how we submit to the presence of God. He must increase. And I may need to at times decrease. But here's what I think the fullness of that looks like. It's not more of him and less of me. This is what I believe, and I'll finish with this. This is what I think postmodern holiness looks like. It's all of him in all of me.